Okay, so um, according to the programme, uh, our subject this week is from 1 Peter chapter 5, and the title is Shepherding the Flock and Living Humbly Under God's Authority. Bit of a mouthful, um, but basically we're going to be thinking about two topics, the role of overseers as shepherds and the role of the sheep. So there's something for everyone. Now you might think, perhaps, that ministry on the role of overseers should be a subject for an overseers meeting, uh, not for the whole church, but you'll see when we read it that um, in verse 5 we have something which does bind it all together, bind us all together, the different roles in the church, uh, and you'll, you'll see, I hope, that the whole subject is relevant to us all. So let's read then 1 Peter Chapter 5, and I'm going to read the first five verses. <clears throat> to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourself with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. So um, <clears throat> it's addressed to elders. Uh, Peter describes himself as a fellow elder, and I think he makes that point really just to emphasise his personal familiarity um, with all the expectations and duties and difficulties um, of being an elder. By the way, I'm not sure you ever wondered why um, we have this term elder, because uh, the role is also described as overseer um, in the New Testament, but uh, we find this term elder, and I think it was simply because, um, certainly in the early church and still pretty much today, um, they were likely to be the older more experienced saints. Not necessarily very old, that's not a criteria, um, but certainly a um, more um, experienced saints. And it's clear um, from the following verses that um, Peter isn't just addressing all of the elder saints, all the older saints in the assembly. And likewise, the reference in verse 5 to you who are younger is also um, simply generalising, I think, about the rest of the church who weren't overseers, but, but those who were um, labelled as the flock. As it says in verse 2, those who've been entrusted to the care of the overseer. So the term elder, so just being clear on this, is a role in the church. It's not um, an age group and um, it's the same role in view whenever you read about overseers in the New Testament. So um, Peter uses this language of shepherds and, um, and, and flock. And it's not surprising that Peter uses these these metaphors um, in uh, his epistle, because it's the same language that Jesus used when he was speaking to him in uh, John chapter 21. You remember that very poignant occasion when Peter was in effect recommissioned 
into the Lord's service. Not that he'd ever been decommissioned, but in his mind he had been, I think, because you remember Peter, in fulfilment of the Lord's prophecy, denied that he even knew the Lord uh, three times, and he was devastated that he'd let the Lord down in, in that way. And the Lord was reassuring him after his resurrection that um, he had great things for Peter to do in his service. And uh, I'll just read those few verses, or a few of the verses from John 21, verse 15. Um, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And that's the responsibility that has been given to all overseers down through the centuries to feed and take care of those who are in the churches. And in verses um, 2 and 3, in verses 2 and 3, Peter makes it even more clear that the sheep um, of the flock that the overseers must lead, feed, and uh, watch over are those who are under their care and those who have been entrusted to them. This is the language that Peter is using. And so there is an implied responsibility and also an implied authority that, um, that goes along with that. Now I'm going to talk about the authority in a minute or two, but first, um, what does shepherd care actually look like? We know that Jesus said in John 10 that uh, he was the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, he was speaking about his own specific um, mission, of course, but it does remind us, doesn't it, that sacrifice is often the price that we pay for caring for someone, whether it be a child um, um, or other family member, an elderly parent maybe, or friend, uh, or our brothers and sisters in the church. Caring for someone um, often requires sacrifice, and it's certainly true of the role of overseers. The uh, example of the Lord Jesus as a good shepherd laying down his life for his sheep um, might, uh, might seem like a, a, a too higher standard to apply uh, in our own lives. Uh, I think the principle of sacrifice is helpful there, but Psalm 23, of course, is another one of those lovely passages of the Bible where we get a great portrait of what shepherd care looks like with the Lord himself as the um, supreme example, someone who provides for all our needs, who provides rest and refreshment, who leads the way through dangers to places of safety, who provides spiritual guidance. And Peter says that overseers must try to do all of this and do it willingly, not out of some um, sense of obligation. In verse 2, where it refers to serving willingly as God wants you to be. Um, an alternative translation, I understand, is as God would do it. And I think the alternative translation focuses more on the care 
not the willingness, which seems to be the way you'd interpret the the other way, the way the NIV has presented it. But I don't think it matters too much which of those translations is is is, is correct because um, whatever, whichever is correct, whichever translation you take, the nature of our cur should be just what God wants, and it should be just as how God Himself would do it, just as how the Lord Jesus the good shepherd would do it himself. And that's an extension of the point I was making a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at chapter four, where you remember that we learned that whatever we say or do, the, um, the scripture said, we should do it as if the Lord himself was, was doing it. And that's a, that's a very high standard, isn't it? Whatever you do, whatever you say, you're doing it as the Lord's ambassador. You're, you're, you're serving people, but serving as if it was the Lord himself doing it. And that's the standard of care that we should have in our conversations with one another and the way that we help and support one another. We should be doing it as if the Lord himself uh, was right here on earth and doing those things instead. Now that's a standard when you apply it to the responsibilities of an overseer that's enough to put anyone off ever wanting to be um, an overseer. But for me, there are some real encouragements um, in the passage. And the first one's in verse 2, where it says, under your care. Um, and again, I mean, you know that I'm not a, a Greek scholar. In fact, I'm not really a scholar of anything um, at all, apart from the university of life. But, um, you know... Um, I, uh, one respected commentary that I consulted said that an alternative translation for that is to the best of your ability, to the best of your ability, uh, which is not saying that there's any room for half-hearted service, uh, but it at least reminds us that the Lord is sympathetic to our limitations, to our weaknesses. We are going to mess up. You're going to mess up. We're going to mess up. Overseers are going to mess up. Um, occasionally, and the Lord is sympathetic to our failings as long as we've tried our best. In verses um, 2 and 3, there are things that overseers should do, and there are things that they should not do. They should serve willingly, they should have a genuine care for the flock, they should put the needs of the flock before their own, and they should always be thinking what would Jesus do? And there's no reason why those principles shouldn't apply to all of us. I mean, they're written to overseers, but they are really standards of behaviour that should apply to every one of us. So they're things that overseers should not do, um, should do rather, um, and things that they shouldn't do, they should not lord it over the flock, and they should not in any way abuse um, their position. Overall, they should be examples to the flock, which basically means that they should try to be role models of the behaviours that they try to encourage in others. And I know that it's sometimes said that those who um, can do and those who can't teach, um, but there's absolutely no room for that in Christian service. In fact, I don't actually understand that. I don't think that applies um, in any walk of life. So, um, Katie, there's no offence attended in your um, chosen new profession. Um, all of us should um, seek to practice what we preach. It's a big ask, but another encouragement for overseers in particular 
is in verse 5, the one I said that brings it all together. Um, because we can see in the matter of shepherd care, there are responsibilities for the overseers and there are responsibilities for the flock. Verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud and shows favour to the humble. It says in the same way, which I think just means in the light of all that Peter has just said about the responsibilities that overseers must carry, he's saying that the, the sheep have a, a part to play as well. The sheep should support the shepherds by being good followers. Not only by submitting to the leadership of the overseers, but also by having an attitude of humility uh, towards each other. And that brings us to our second topic, um, living humbly under God's authority. So, I think there are two aspects to this second topic the and it links to the first topic of course um, the two aspects are the willingness to submit to authority and the characteristic of humility and I'm going to say just a little bit about about each of those so in the context of the earlier verses and as it says specifically in verse 5 Peter is talking about the authority of overseers here but we should keep in mind that overseers are also under authority. The same authority as everyone else. We're all under God's authority. And he expects that we will all live our lives in subjection to his word. If you know, Jesus said, if you, if you love him, um, if you love me, um, you'll obey my commandments. So this is something that we should do willingly, out of love, not out of fear, for it is something that we should do. It is what God expects. Um, you know, we have examples in the scriptures, um, one of the churches in Revelation, of, of course, which just reflect to us what we know already, that our love can be up or down. Church in the Revelation left their first love. You know, we can't measure our degree of obligation to the Lord by our degree of love. If we're feeling that our love is down, that doesn't say, well, okay, I'm kind of, that's a good excuse for me not to obey God's words in, um, as much as I normally do. You know, our, 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 our obedience comes as a result of our obligation to God as our great creator and the, uh, the, the supreme authority. And God expects us to obey him regardless, but he wants us to do it out of love. Overseers, in their role, have a duty to discern God's will and apply his word in the rules and procedures which are laid down for the churches. And the Overseers Conference, which happened uh, recently, that we had a little report um, about um, a few weeks ago, that is the main forum uh, where those rules and procedures are agreed collectively. And that's a vital part of um, maintaining what we refer to as the, the United Elderhood. And that is vital to maintaining the unity of the churches of God, which is one of the uni uh, unique and very special things about the fellowship that, um, that this church um, is part of, that you, we, are all, are all part of. It's one of those very, very special things. 
Like I said, overseers are also under God's authority. So the focus of conference discussions is never about what overseers um, would like to do. It's always on what we believe, trying to understand, discern from God's word, to understand what God wants us to do. And in our decision-making, even in some of the mundane, relatively mundane things like seating arrangements for the remembrance and things like, things like that, overseers are still committed to the principles that we've just been thinking about. Obedience to the word of God, a humble attitude of shepherd care and serving the flock rather than lording it over them. So what's he ask? Well, um, Hebrews 13 and 17 puts it like this. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden. So why should we do it? Firstly, because God's word tells us to. Secondly, because overseers are expected to always have our best interests at heart. And thirdly, because they'll have to give an account to the Lord for that. And fourthly, because we wouldn't want to make anyone's work for the Lord a burden, would we? Anyone's. Especially if we have the option of making it a joy. So that was the first um, aspect of our second topic, the submission to authority. Um, but let's think now about the humility. The humility which not only helps with the submission to authority, um, but also impacts every relationship in the church verse 5 says all of you all of you clothe yourselves with humility there are various dictionary definitions um, of humility um, I always go to the dictionary um, when there's a word I don't really understand very well as a scouser I spend a lot of time you know looking in the dictionary because like I said <laughs> haven't been blessed with a university education so Dictionary is my best friend sometimes. So I went to the dictionary with great expectations. And uh, my Oxford English dictionary, no less, says it's a humble condition. I said, thanks, dictionary. That's really, really, really helpful. So I looked up humble and it described humble uh, with a little bit, few, a few more words. Uh, it said it's having or showing a low estimate of one's own importance, <coughs> having a low social rank, having modest pretensions modest claims or expectations. Um, and also in verse 5, we can learn that it's the opposite of proud. And I thought, okay, so I could go and look up the word proud now and really get some idea of what that might mean. I thought instead, you know what, I'm going to go to Philippians chapter 2 because I think Philippians 2 gives us a, a, a wonderful um, portrait of what humility looks like, again, using the Lord himself um, as our example. So Philippians 2, I'm just going to read a few verses from verse 3. Uh, Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, <coughs> not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, of course, we could spend the whole ministry just on that one, one passage, and we don't have time to plumb the depths of it. But the example of the Lord's humility is surely one of the things that we would seek to um, emulate in our, in, 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 in our own lives. But again, as I said before, some of the examples of the Lord are so great, his, his standards so high, you think, well, how can I possibly imitate that in my day-to-day uh, life? And I think that John um, 13 is perhaps a one which gives us a more practical illustration. And the Lord Jesus himself said, this is an example for you to copy. Um, I think John 13 is, 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 is a good passage for us to have a, a quick look at. This is the one, of course, when um, the Lord Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. So... John 13, um, chapter 4, sorry, John 13, verse 4. Uh, we'll start at verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped in a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. I think this example of humility from the Lord Jesus in the upper room, I think it's a really good example um, in the light of what Peter has been talking about, clothing ourselves with humility because the literal meaning of the word clothe yourselves is fasten on with a knot so if we allow our imaginations to work just a little bit we can just imagine the Lord Jesus um, fastening that towel around him so the link between the two things seems to be seem to be quite quite a good one to re- remind ourselves of this this idea of clothing ourselves with um, humility it's not sort of like draping it like a like like a bathrobe or something like that it's something that should be tied to us really really tightly so i think the expectation here is that we should be doing more than just trying to be a little bit more humble you know i made this point a couple of weeks ago sometimes we come to the scriptures i think um and we read the commands um from um, uh, in the scriptures and we treat them a little bit like guidance like like hints and tips or things that oh, I you know, must work on that a little bit, a little bit more, and you know this is this is not this is not God's standard. That's the standard of the world. You know, God expects us to at least try to meet um, to meet His standard. Um, so this attitude of humility is a characteristic. It's an attitude that we that we need to tie ourselves to very tightly, uh, because there's always a risk of pride. Um, in all of us, and um, including, obviously, overseers in their positions of um, authority. So what does it mean to tie something to us? What does it mean to tie this attitude of humility to us? Um, my, my, my take is that the moment we become pr- um, conscious of a proud thought, um, or the moment a superior attitude um, 
arises and we're conscious of it, or, or just failing to um, value someone's opinion or contribution, or not treating somebody with the appropriate dignity and, uh, and respect. These are all symptoms of pride. The moment we become conscious um, of doing that, or thinking that, behaving in that way, we should just grab hold of ourselves and remind ourselves that we are going to tie ourselves to the attitude of humility and tie it with a very tight knot. Of course, we know that um, humility is not one of the most prized attributes in the world. Self-promotion and a high profile are often thought to be essential if you uh, want to make a difference. It's one of the things I hate most about the um, management system in the company that I work for. Um, performance management. I have a team of people and I have to evaluate their performance and knowing that the company expects me to differentiate the performance of one colleague from another, uh, one of the factors is their profile. You know, how big their importance and fame and how many people know about the things that they've done. And they're expected to develop this profile in competition with their, with their colleagues because we only get so many ratings at different performance ratings each year. You know, so they're competing with each other and one of those things is, is by developing their, their profile. Um, and we don't need that in the service of the Lord. The promise of verse 6 is that humbling ourselves and accepting whatever roles he's prepared for us um, will not only lead to God's blessing, but under God's mighty hand, even the most modest acts of service can be used by him to achieve great purposes. Verse 6 um, said, we didn't read it before, did we? Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due course. Now, I want to finish um, with verse 7, uh, which has been a favourite um, of mine for more years than I care to think about because it was given to me by one of my teachers when I left primary school and was upgrading to the big scary school. And we had this tradition that you went round, and I don't know, maybe every school does this um, at, primary, at primary age at least anyway. And we all went round, all of our teachers of our little notebook and all the teachers wrote a little message in, a little farewell message. And I got to one of my teachers, and it turns out she was a Christian, and she gave me 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, and wrote it out in full. And it says, cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. I said before that there are some great encouragements in the passage to help us face big responsibilities. Uh, or other challenging times. And some of the things that overseers are called to do can be a cause of great anxiety. Um, but I think the promise here um, to overseers, but applicable to all of us, is that we can cast those anxieties on the Lord and he'll take care of them. In other words, we can trust him to take care of the things that we care about. Actually, the word cast... Um, another one that I looked up, um, but it means to hurl. In other words, we can literally throw them, throw them at the Lord, pile it on, because there's no amount of worry, fear, hurt, confusion, or any other kind of stress or anxiety that he can't absorb. In other words, if we're trying our best, to live our lives in accordance with his words, trying our best 
to please him, then no matter what, we can trust in his promises. And indeed, it's a testimony to the grace of God that even when we're not trying our best to do all those things, often his promises come very true for us as well. I'm going to just finish by reading one of those, one of the most you know, lovely ones, which is very on, on the topic of, um, of, of anxiety and an antidote for anxiety, and that is Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, and I'm going to read from verse 25 in the NIV Bible, the heading that's been put in by the editors is um, do, uh, do not worry. So I think it's uh, an appropriate one for us to finish on. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. That do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So you see those words absolutely fit and support the promise that we have in First Peter, that we can cast, hurl, throw our anxieties at the Lord because he cares for us and he is able to deal with each and every one of them. Let's pray.